0: Did you miss us? It has been a fortnight, but has it felt like an, a, a millennia? Well, we are back. I am indeed Rob, and the person I am shooting the
1: poo with is uh, the wonderful Kevin Yank. How are you? Yeah, it's me, Kev. I'm, I'm well. It is, uh, Two weeks is a long time between missions, uh, but it feels like we're doing the long haul from the Delta Quadrant here. Uh, there's a long distance between stars sometimes got two episodes of prodigy here to talk about uh, today and a theme as usual Uh, the the theme we picked out was contaminated cultures or like primitive cultures that have come in contact with the Federation or some other entity and uh, have their cultures warped because of it yes and as always like you came up with a very
0: long uh, very specific detailed description of it and then you find on memory alpha that they came up with that turn of phrase the uh, contaminated culture so because of course
1: here's a link there's a link in the show notes to contaminated cultures if you want to read all of the background there will always be a link so we're, we are back with episode 13 of season one
0: all the world's a stage of course the wonderful quote from uh Jaquiz from as you like it um one of the characters the melancholy cal- character from as you like it that pastoral comedy by the great william shakespeare and is incorporated in to this episode and what were your initial thoughts of the episode kevin
1: Love-hate
0: is my reaction to this
1: episode. I love it so much, and I hate a couple of small details. But overall, perhaps my favorite episode of Prodigy so far. Oh, wow. That is a big call. It's definitely the one that leans, this is
0: the most Star Trek-y of Star Trek Prodigy episodes, because it has not only all the, that tip of the hat to the pass with the original series, but it has... Unlike our Lower Decks, which has a, like a hint of a cynical
1: edge to it sometimes. <laughs> yes, there's a barb in every compliment. Yes. Whereas- This is a true loving homage. Yes. Like the, a wholehearted, you know what? That show is so good, we're going to build our whole society around exactly. it. Exactly. And for me, it's very much a case of
0: it does owe a lot to the incredible- uh, work of uh, Galaxy Quest as well. That I did feel like the Thermians did... F- yes. The ...were sort of like spawned from this culture who embraced it so much. And the, even down to the fact like characters spoke like James T. Kirk and spoke like...
1: Now you're talking about one of my hate moments of this. Because... <laughs> The idea that a planet would be inspired by a glancing contact with Starfleet and and get a few of the details charmingly wrong, uh, even as they did their best to mimic every single aspect, that is like, it makes your heart swell. It is, it is a lovely, joyful thing to behold. A... What I will call, I'm sure it wasn't intended this way, but it came off to me as a mean-spirited lampooning of William Shatner. Oh, really? I think it was completely unnecessary. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: (laughs) I didn't see it as mean-spirited at all because so many of us as huge hardcore fans do our Shatner. Yeah. We all have our Shatner impersonation. And in many ways, Shatner... The Shatner impersonation is the go to. Like in Star Wars, you have mm. Vader, you have 3PO, you have Yoda, you have those clear voices and things that you can do. But within the Star Trek world, everyone leans into their Shatner. So the pause is needed. You know, John Belushi did a Shatner. Um, uh, Jim Carrey has an incredible Shatner. Mm. So it's a, so like almost a rite of passage within the Star
1: Trek world. i concede that, but the, the ultimate effect of it here to me is to make the show less accessible more off-putting to its intended audience if you're a kid who's never seen william shatner do kirk let alone do that version of (laughs) kirk the larger than life kirk um this character is just going to be off-putting and weird in in a cringy kind of way i feel
0: yes yeah 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 It, it like i was saying it does the one it is the one episode of prodigy that leans so heavily into it um and that's what I was a bit worried about with the previous one with the uh, uh, Kobayashi Maru episode with mm. bringing in these characters. Would that inspire mm. young new viewers? Yeah, I agree. Or same they, same deal. All to put them off. Um, so yes, the crew of the, uh, the Protostar are uh, obviously worried that they have this machine uh, that's been installed in the ship that will just immediately with any contact with a Starfleet vessel will... Uh, infect that ship and just destroy it, set it apart, as we have already seen in a previous episode.
1: What I love about this episode, one of the many things I love about this episode, is faced with that impasse of we can't go back to Starfleet, they just go on a mission. Yep, they're like, "What good can we do? We're we want to be like Starfleet. Let's try and help someone." Which with our they've ship. been
0: implying they've been
1: doing for like the last,
0: you know couple of episodes that's right we being... see
1: little clips but it was so refreshing just like strange new worlds was a breath of fresh air to see a crew on a ship do a mission yes yeah uh that's what we got this episode and it was the same oh yes this is what i love about starfleet we get to the end of an hour together and they've fixed the problems of an entire <laughs> world <laughs>
0: made a new culture see how they interact and we find out that this race has got some sort of, um, you know, evil presence or dark presence known as the gallows. And uh, that's one aspect of sci fi that I really love that's been explored in a lot of things. as a. A Doctor Who story called The Face of Evil, where the, uh, the uh, colonists have crashed on a planet and thousands of years later, mm. the descendants have split into two tribes. So instead of the survey team, there's the sever team. Mm. And uh, instead of um, uh, the technicians, there's the Tesh. And so mm. I like this as well, how the dialogue- the broken yeah, language. The language yeah. has you evolved. Can, you can and...
1: decipher about half of it. Like I knew right away that En was an ensign? I was like, okay, which ensign? I'm gonna guess. Uh, I know there was an ensign behind all of this, and it was. Some of them were just charming, the James T. and Sue Liu, and Doctor Boons and Sprock. Yes. Like, so good. And the uh, and so the, uh, and the Vulcan signal signal yes. was, was different and done wrong. Oh, and what was that the, they did all lived together on the new End Up Prize? <laughs> and what was
0: the instead of Live Long and Prosper, it was
1: uh Live Logs and Proper. <laughs> which which seems to make no sense until later we find out that the logs are what they call the plays that they put yes. on to teach each other what Starfleet or Starflight is all about. And look, as a high school drama teacher
0: and uh, a member of many amateur performances back in the day, I do appreciate an animated recreation of a very amateur performance with the use yeah. of <laughs> very bad um, props and, and and sets that move very easily from one place to the other.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I love that they played fair. The gallows, like, first of all, not an obviously broken word so you aren't immediately looking for what it actually means yes but when it was revealed that it was the shuttlecraft galileo it was like of course the gallows and the the googly pink eyes or the lights on the end of the nacelles yes. and it's just oh so satisfying very
0: well done very very yeah. well done it was good to, again for these you know protest star crew to find out more about this federation culture and starfleet culture and the positivity of it and how they're inspired by you know because they're so wanting to be a part of starfleet and they've kind of lost their way a little bit but going on these missions and then finding out the modus operandi of the federation can stay with them and inspire them whether it be tos or voyager yes Mm. and while that is going on we have a Janeway on the hunt again, finding out more information as they go, and of course, it doesn't look good for the proto star crew. Uh, how everything is perceived by Janeway and her and her crew are sort of like taking it as the worst possible version of of what actually happened.
1: Indeed, and that uh, that comes to head in the next episode in a big way. Well, at the end of episode thirteen, they've like been able to do a hologram thing
0: so that the people from the colony can.
1: Yeah, that was one. Like I think, as often happens, almost every week, in fact, on uh, Prodigy, it is a uh, solution that will satisfy the kiddies, <laughs> but not quite make sense to us grown ups. We just have to kind of smile along and go, "Yeah, sure, you yeah." You can change the yeah, layout the, to the, look the, like
0: the original Enterprise. The
1: theater kids can drive the ship. Damn they right.
0: Damn right. And all
1: It worked in Galaxy Quest, so It very you
0: know. much did. We need your help. <laughs> so yes. Uh, and the, another big shocker was uh Merv. Murph was um is in some sort of cocoon as well. It's
1: like oh, he's going to be a pretty
0: <laughs> butterfly. I was thinking that too. I'm going, let's bring out mm. the Murph butterfly. And there was a hint at the end of the episode that they would dispose of the ship mm. and find their own way to get to to the Federation, which leads into
1: Yes, indeed. Episode 14, Crossroads. Before we go there, I just want to say the the connection to canon of Enson Garovic. David Garovic, uh, a small red shirt part in an original series episode called Obsession. He was a single episode guest star, but a big part of that episode. He was a red shirt whose father was killed by a gas cloud, and he was obsessed with tracking it down and killing it. And Kirk. Uh, is his commander and Kirk is like trying to also get to the bottom of this gas cloud mystery but keep this young kid alive. And Garavik was the hot-headed young ensign who was uh, trying to get revenge for the death of his father and at risk of getting himself killed in the process. So Garavik learned a valuable lesson at the end of that episode and and like became a member of the crew and was never seen again until we discover somehow he ended up piloting the shuttlecraft Galileo into this planet and never, returned never again. returning to
0: the Enterprise, but uh, inspiring this culture to uh, strive to be their very best. Yes. And what more can you expect from a red shirt well, in Starfleet? You inspire a really good theater company to put on you know, a series of mm. plays that just define a culture. And don't we all want that?
1: <laughs> We've all done
0: pro shows that we thought would change society. Yes. Okay, so next episode, Crossroads, the most recent one that came out. They've decided to dump uh, the Protostar yeah. on an ice planet, uh, cover it in the snow, leave Janeway there, and um, try and find Federation. While at the same time, yeah. uh, Janeway and her crew uh, arrive at the same uh, planet, go to the uh, like almost like moss Eisley,
1: Yes, it was. They they stopped short of calling it a wretched den of scum and villainy. <laughs> there was no
0: wretched hive there.
1: They called it a haven for smugglers and anyone wishing to exactly. disappear. But it was much the yeah, same. Uh, vibe. Yeah, Alec
0: Guinness was uh, pricking his ears up in his grave, going, uh, are "You quoting me?" <laughs> um, and we had another deep. Uh, deep cut reference from The Next Generation.
1: Speaking of scum yeah, and the villainy. the great Billy Campbell
0: returns with, in voice form, with now with an eye patch and gray hair in animated form.
1: Yeah, great's a strong <laughs> word. I like Billy
0: Campbell, come on. He was the rocketeer.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if the outrageous Okona was the character we needed to bring back from the past, but I guess everyone gets a turn. Everyone's right? getting a turn right now, no matter what spinoff
0: we get everyone's going to be coming back in some way shape or form
1: he ends this episode on the protostar stuck in the neutral zone so i hope they're going somewhere interesting with him uh in all honesty if they take okona on an interesting character arc i am here for it like i am i would love the idea that this uh cringy 80s lethario from one episode of tng if he became the heart and soul of uh this series for a few episodes and we ended up falling in love with that character great i haven't seen it yet look <laughs>
0: look and look, if, if he does look like he's the pirate king from uh pirates of penzance so if he does yeah if he does break out into one of those uh Gilbert and Sullivan songs. I'd be very happy. uh What did you think about this episode overall? There's some good stuff in there, like, but I'm getting I'm getting frustrated by it. I mean, obviously it's the build up of television tension and all that type of stuff. And I'm there going, mm-hmm. they're the good guys. Don't think they're the bad guys. And you've got the bad guy and you <laughs> think he's the good guy. Yeah, and it's just it's a, a th-
1: plot episode where they're like adding complexity to string it out.
0: And they've got the yeah, you know, they found the the guy who was on the the outpost, and he thinks they're all monsters and animals and Barnest. Oh,
1: Yeah, if he sticks around much longer, we're going to have to do an episode on bad Starfleet officers. (laughs) Because Vice Admiral Janeway calls him out and she's like, some Starfleet officer won't even answer his communicator. And and,
0: and also, and she does turn and goes, you didn't tell me they were children. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, well... uh... How did you find the doctor in this episode, as compared to his first appearance, where he was?
1: They've laid off. I think they. I don't know if they course corrected or what, but he's he is much more professional and fading into the background a bit more. I think. Yeah, he did bring the sass with Jacob. Yes, indeed. They were a bit sassy back and forth. Yeah, and I guess that's what he was written for. Yes. Uh, so that worked for me i did like it and we had uh we had a klingon show up yeah lovely i I didn't realize how much i was missing seeing klingons (laughs) on screen but this was a real klingon and i liked him and being put into place by a trill so it was very much i had flashbacks of dax and wharf it was uh yeah it was very good all the plot machinations of this episode to me are just there to to create this one scene where Dahl comes face-to-face with Vice Admiral Janeway and confesses that he really wants to live up to what is needed to be a Starfleet officer. Uh, And Janeway gives him the great advice of fear of failure has killed more dreams than anything, so I usually (laughs) go for it. And it just... Yet another pearl of, of Janeway oh. wisdom that um I am I am loving that Janeway has become the speaker of grand truths from the experience of Starfleet. Look, you know,
0: when we got to the first half of the season I went, how this show can't get any better? You got Kate Mulgrew back as Janeway. You know how they did that? They gave us two Janeway's. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You want you want Mulgrew, we'll give you two Mulgrews. We'll pay you twice. <laughs> So yes, we had an exciting chase through the snow, we had avalanches, we had races through deep war, we had drifting into the neutral zone. Romulans show
1: up. Those animated Romulan warbirds they were pretty great. sweet, they I have dread. to say. They looked even better than the ones we got in lower decks in, in Rutherford's yes. Fever Dream about his past personality. Yes, the brilliant green
0: of the of the, of the ships just stood out beautifully in the in the darkness. Good design, those Romulans. Bad haircuts. But they know how to design a ship, <laughs> yes. so we end on a bit of a cliffhangery type thing with uh, with uh, drifting into neutral zone, cannot communicate with uh, Janeway's ship. The Romulans coming in.
1: I have a bone to pick with these Romulans, and it's not the first time this has happened. Where the Federation is minding their own business, they are clearly outside of the neutral zone on their side of it. The point of a neutral zone is it creates a vast expanse between you and your enemy. And you stay on your side, and they stay on their side, and no one goes to war. In this episode... Janeway gets a little too close to the neutral zone and the warbirds uncloak and go, what do you think you're doing? You're coming a little close to our neutral zone over here. That that would be an act of war. And I'm asking myself, where exactly are these Romulans that they are not committing an act of war by decloaking in front of Janeway's ship? Well, this is this is the beauty of Star Trek, Kevin. You know, the, it's not black
0: and white. It's many layers of gray.
1: Geography is fluid in it Star Trek. It is very, it's very true. fluid,
0: yes, you know. There's only so many outer and inner rims we can have. How many rims do we have here? Come on.
1: All right. So we had our loving homage, we had our plot heavy action episode. Uh, we're getting some variety in our prodigy at the moment, which I'm loving. Very much so. But the thing we picked out this week to talk about is that idea of a contaminated culture. Mm. And we saw it with the Endoprisians here. And uh, Rob and I have each picked out uh, one example of another contaminated culture that uh, we wanted to revisit here on this episode.
0: So who should go first, Rob? What do you think? Well, let's um, let's start off with uh, the original series, an excellent choice. Um, yes, yes. And I've heard of this episode many, many times before, but I've never actually seen it, so... To finally watch it for the first time was...
1: You had never seen a piece of the action until today? Until today. Today was my uh, first time of watching a uh, piece of the action. I—it It is my pleasure to introduce you to the joy that is a piece of the action. It's a, a great deal of fun. Uh, right smack
0: bang or, or near the, the end. end. Of season two so they're very much uh set in their ways and
1: uh they had the confidence to go there with the comedy with the broad comedy and and, and shatner just is allowed to just sail into the,
0: <laughs> the hammiest over the top
1: <laughs> fun i have ever seen yeah oh so good as a kid when i first saw this episode i bought it 100 percent In fact, I'm pretty sure I learned what gangsters were (laughs) by watching this episode as a child. And it, it works that way because our crew are the outsiders learning about this culture, you don't have to know what a gangster is. You get to learn it through this episode. So everything that they do is accessible. It is not a genre episode that assumes knowledge in any way.
0: Yeah, And it's a beautiful balance of they're aware of the fact that they are caught up in a universe where there are ships that travel through space and they're aware of all this type of stuff, but they are stuck in this tribute to this certain era of American
1: history. Uh, for anyone in our audience who has not seen a piece of the action, season two, episode 20 of the original series. Like like me, three hours ago. Yeah. Uh, the quick recap is that the Enterprise comes to make second contact. Wow. I didn't remember that we had seen a second contact before. Yeah. They return to visit a planet that was first visited by a Starfleet ship a hundred years before. That ship met an ill-fated end shortly after that mission, and so the radio transmissions of their visit did not make it to Starfleet until just last week. A hundred years prior to uh, TOS. Yeah. How is that in relation
0: to Archer's timeline? Where is that?
1: It'll be right around then. Right. And in fact, they did, uh, well, there is a starship Horizon that appears in Enterprise in one season. And Ensign Meriwether was his family ship, he, in his quarters, on a bookshelf behind him, is a copy of Gangs of the 1920s. Excellent. The same white, hardbound tome. <laughs> uh, so yes, the connection is definitely there. In this episode of the original series, it turns out that this book was left behind by the original visit, and the very impressionable natives of this planet make it their Bible, effectively, and model their entire culture. They uh-
0: experts in mimicry so they take everything and they can do it absolutely perfectly which is a great uh yes great plot filler they can just you know logic jump
1: so they read this big book and credit to the production design it's a big thick book like there's a lot of gangster information in that book. well chicago, chicago <laughs> was a, a very violent town originally pitched uh with the two words president capone <laughs> in the original pitch document for the original nice. series um, this this episode is basically Kirk, Spock, and McCoy trying to navigate this culture of gangs and bosses and getting kidnapped and thrown in one cell and then escaping only to get picked up and get kidnapped and thrown in another boss's cell. And all the bosses want them to provide weapons or heaters, as they are called in this culture. and uh, Yeah, bring the heat. And ultimately, it's resolved by Kirk going, you know what? These people will respect is another boss. So he goes, hey, the Federation's moving in here. Yeah, we've got to take
0: our percentage. We want 40% of you getting nothing. And can, and can I just say, this is like, this is 68? Yeah, yeah. So this is the Kirk's hat is very much like a 1970s pimp hat. It is very furry. <laughs> I'm there going. It's
1: very fuzzy. In HD, you can tell just how it is fuzzy so, it is. Like
0: HD from Paramount Plus. I'm there going. That is a pimp hat from the 70s. I don't <laughs> think that was even in existence anywhere near the 1920s.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, they did their best. Those uh, those Icosians. But there's uh, a lot of
0: there's a lot of stuff in there that harks harkens back or forward to me from like my favorite era of growing up with the original crew was the movies, and especially from that Star Trek four voyage home mm. that, that interplay between um, Shatner and Nimoy is just yeah. experts at just how flashy they are back and forth. And you see that here, like, yes, with their whole,
1: don't lose yourself in the role there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Don't bury yourself in the park. Um But also like in the car, they're going, I believe it's a clutch. Yes, that's because right.
1: Let's, uh, uh, the whole line of uh, captain never drive again it's not the car that frightens me captain it's your driving (laughs) so good uh and worth pointing out there is no plot justification for kirk suddenly going well this is my chance i've always wanted to put on a gangster accent it is just there for fun and kirk appears to be having fun with it as well is it
0: just me or you know if i'd watch this as a younger man just having james t kirk hold a gun at somebody and say take your clothes off it just <laughs> up there.
1: Get out of them clothes. Get out of them clothes. And it's a. I love that he calls bones sawbones. Sawbones. And he calls, calls Spock Spocko. Spocko, that's right. And um,
0: and trying to translate to. Uh, Scotty with his oh, strong...
1: bewildered Scotty yes.
0: on the bridge is my favorite thing. And I look on that now going, that should be Ahura though. Ahura is the one. It should yeah. be Uhura.
1: Yes, it should definitely be Uhura. But uh, yeah, when, when Bella Oxmix calls up and says, you understand? And and Scotty goes, I don't know. <laughs> I, I
0: actually have no idea. And it ends on a... Because like, the ones on Paramount Plus are all the new hd ones with all the special effects added yeah so um at the end of the episode it literally ends on a uh, american sitcom freeze frame yes it does And then it cuts from the freeze frame to the really beautiful new cgi and then <laughs> yeah. they go, you're trying to cover it up but you <laughs> ended on a freeze frame
1: yeah with his like... it has gone, eh? Shatner, like, yeah, one thumb pointed at Spock, the other pointed at McCoy. It's a lot It's a lot of fun. Ask for a piece of our action. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense, that closing line, but the freeze frame sells it. Uh, the scene with the kid it is really, really cute and funny. Oh, so sweet. Yep. Yes. What a oh, hard to cast a good kid bit part, but they did they it. They did a great job um mm. and so yeah just a lot of fun very very silly it's a very silly episode i think everyone thinks of trouble with tribbles but this is right up there with silly episodes of the original series for me yeah and it's a little bit timeless because it is that future
0: representation of the 1920s so the suits are impeccable it's like with um the some of the best episodes of doctor who in the 70s is when they said it in uh, medieval times, or back in the Victorian era, because the BBC costume department could just bring out
1: a cobwebby dungeon looks the same in any exactly,
0: era. and they could get those specific costumes that you know, you know. But you're trying to create an alien culture from
1: 300 years in the future. That's hard to create. This is also why they did those episodes, because they could use the backlot, they could use all the props, they just raid the costume department, and they're done. So any episodes which would come across as dated now because
0: the costumes are trying to capture a a colony in the future or a planet in the future, Mm. that shows the datedness. But here, you can just rely on the fun of the episode because the costumes are something that you can relate to, apart from... You know, Kirk's fuzzy pimp hat. Yes.
1: This episode ends with McCoy admitting he left his communicator behind on the planet. So unprofessional. <laughs> Quite unprofessional. McCoy? And he's, he's, deciding whether to, he's, he's deciding whether to mention it at the end. It's like, maybe I just won't
0: say anything. And McCoy is so serious the entire episode. You think that, that uh-huh. seriousness yes. and dedication. You've been so serious and focused this entire episode and you still <laughs> lose your communicator.
1: McCoy. This concept is followed up on in an Enterprise uh, episode, Star Trek Enterprise Season 2, Episode 8, called The Communicator, which I wondered if they had found some way to literally follow up on McCoy's communicator. But no, the timeline is not right for that. But I do want to know the story of what happened to Sigma Iosha as a result of that communicator being left there. That is a story that has been told in comics, but I think that that is a potentially rich enough story that I would love to see us come back to it somehow someday. It'd be hilarious if Boynler and and Beckett went to oh uh, exactly did, it's, did gangster it's dying best. for it? They have mentioned oh, that planet. They have mentioned the gangster planet. This thing rots itself. The Enterprise episode, the Communicator, is uh, much more straight down the line oh, we were on a mission, we left the communicator behind, now we have to go back for it, and we've been captured. We need to explain ourselves as as Uh-oh. as uh, owners of future technology. And, yeah, it, it's it's much less fun than a piece, piece of the action. But almost anything is. That just defines uh, Enterprise, doesn't it? Oh, burn, bit of burn for Enterprise. <laughs> you know what does
0: sound fun, though? Ferengi. Ferengi sound fun. Oh, what a segue. That's incredible. Yes, our next influential episode based on these contaminated cultures as memory alpha says it is of course false prophets season three episode five
1: of voyager mm. a uh, a rare voyager tie-in to a previous episode of star trek yes which they
0: say in the episode of voyager is seven years ago so it's from I'm not sure which season it is in uh tng
1: the price
0: season three episode eight wow so pretty close so season three episode five for false profits and it's a sequel to season three episode eight of the TGs. when it's that close why didn't they just line them up it would have been so satisfying to match them up i know i know you know that's another thing for us to be annoyed about (laughs) voyager about Yeah, Harry, Kim, something else can annoy us just as much
1: as you. Yeah, an early wormhole episode, like this is long before Deep Space Nine, TNG had, there was a a race whose planet was near a wormhole, and they wanted to auction off the travel rights or the ownership rights of that wormhole that would be a, a gateway to the Delta Quadrant and uh, people could come and go, open up a whole new uh, avenue of commerce and the Federation was bidding and the Ferengi were bidding and at the end of the episode it's discovered that the wormhole is unstable and worthless but the Ferengi aren't having it. They're like, oh, you're just trying to pull one over on us. We'll, we'll fly into the wormhole and uh, sure enough, the wormhole collapses stranding them in the Delta Quadrant to, be a, to appear here. So yes, and here in the Delta Quadrant, they
0: are um, uh, seen as the the prophets, the gods of uh, sort of like the the sages uh, for this for this culture, and um, pretty much just milk them for all they want. They live an opulence life. They have very scantily dressed, futuristic slash early nineties, mid nineties. Uh, ladies fawning all over them Uh and uh, while the 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 culture is pretty much struggling and living in poverty and living from hand to mouth in a bronze age type existence uh, the Ferengi are uh, living the opulent life taking all the
1: profits that they need a beautiful extension of the premise in my mind like if we have established that in the galaxy there are entire planets that are so impressionable they will pattern themselves after whatever book or instructions you give them why would that not be abused by a pair of Ferengi long way from home and there's a reason why the Ferengi empire
0: has uh, lasted and been so successful it knows how to adapt and adjust
1: Um, (laughs) so I have not seen this episode in a long time so I'm looking forward to reliving it through you Uh, what did what stood out to you Rob yeah there's some there's some great stuff in this I hadn't seen this for a while as well what really
0: stood out for me was What they deal with a lot in Voyager is, let's look at the Prime Directive. Like Tuvok says, well, the Prime Directive is we cannot interfere at all. And even though these people, uh, the Ferengi are coming here, they're not a part of the Federation, so we can't interfere in any way, shape, or form. And Janeway goes yeah
1: but
0: <laughs> if i remember correctly we were a part of the original negotiations and so if we hadn't done that they would never have gone through the wormhole so this is our responsibility is i'm there going oh that's very good <laughs> logic jumping that is that is some logic jumping there janeway and i love that type of oh, justification she does in her head does tuvok buy it Uh oh tuvok as always tim ross does his normal passive aggressive raised yeah yeah um, sigh out. So, <laughs> he doesn't do Nimoy's raised eyebrow. Yeah, that's that's what, what I was going
1: to say. Is there were a couple of great um, Spock accepting the logic moments in the <laughs> pr- previous episode we were discussing as well. When the little yes. kid goes. Uh, Spock goes, "You don't even know what the action is," and the king goes, "Well, it's got to be big, or you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be hitting Krakow." And Spock goes, "Logical, logical, that's logical." <laughs> so, um, uh, and a
0: highlight for me is Ethan Phillips as uh, Neelix. For most of the episode, I actually said out loud, "They're basically just showing Neelix looking and nodding," and <laughs> they had they didn't clearly signify that Janeway was looking at Neelix to do something. I'm just there going. Why are they looking at Neelix having a shot on him for an extended period of time? And then, of course, the next scene, he comes disguised as a Ferengi and Ethan Phillips does an incredible job as uh, as as the Ferengi right there. He's he's no Jeffrey Coombs, but, you know, or he's no Armin Shimmerman, but he does a great job as, uh, as the Ferengi, you know, proxy.
1: Absolutely. I would buy all it takes is gregariousness at 11 to be a a at least a cheerful ferengi <laughs> so they
0: try everything in their power to they can't force the ferengi off the planet so they try and convince them by using their greed against them um it's yeah it's a very clever episode to connect but not connect and um and how it all works out and there's some great appearances uh in supporting roles michael enson uh, he plays the bard the the shonky bard who, very much like Igor from Young Frankenstein. His eye patch moves from one side to the oh, other. No. <laughs> um, he's, yeah, he's like sings great poetry about the the sage's arrival oh, and all that type of, course, of stuff. Of course, I
1: completely and forgot he, that.
0: That's great. And he's a great character actor who uh, most uh, fans will know as uh, the hotel concierge in Ghostbusters. Mm. He's a wonderful, wonderful character actor. He does an awesome job. Uh, Robert uh, Labelle as Kafar is great as well. He's been around doing stuff. He plays two Talaxians in other Voyager episodes. But two big standouts. They brought back Dan Sean, who was the original uh, Ferengi from The Price, and filling in as Call... Is the great Leslie Jordan who just recently passed away? This is one of his early television roles yeah. playing a Ferengi beautifully. He went on to do Will and Grace and um, he's in The Help and uh, just an uh, incredible actor. If you want to see more about him, there's a great YouTube channel, Matt Baum, one of my favorite um, YouTubers. He focuses on pop culture and LGBTIQ um, r- rights and issues within pop culture. And he's just done a video tribute to Leslie Jordan. Find out about his amazing. Life and um, his uh, wonderful career. Amazing, but here he does great. Here,
1: I'll be watching that right after this as I put the link in the show notes.
0: uh Yes, so Leslie Jordan does a great job. He works beautifully with Dan, and they um, play off each other really well. As with all Ferengi characters, you need the the powerful one, the sniveling one, uh the the more manipulative one, and the one who's easily manipulated. They work beautifully. Oh yeah, uh, it's
1: together. It's like a pair of clowns in a way. You need the high status clown and the low status clown.
0: Ferengis are great in, especially this, the, the iteration that they became. Mm. Uh, they're, they're great in bringing that whole sense of just stripping back all that Starfleet facade. Yeah. And giving you uh, a little bit of almost, you know, modern day er- Earth culture in, uh, in this, in this futuristic world. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a funny episode. So you've got Chakotay and Paris going undercover. Yeah. Um, there's some great jokes in there about because this culture has embraced. The, the rules of acquisition. And uh, in fact, the culture knows it better than the Ferengi do. And it's all about bartering and what money they can get. And there's a great moment where the bard will give them information if they could, do, oh, those shoes, Those because they've replicated suits and clothing to look exactly like it. So that means they're fresh and new. Uh-huh. And these people just going, I want those shoes. So, so Chicote and Paris by the end of the mission end up you know, barefoot going through this mission.
1: <laughs> Tell me about this, this native culture. They got warped by the Ferengi. Are they another, like, are they conspicuously gullible?
0: No, it, they're, they're, a great description of it from Janeway is sort of like goes, they weren't very advanced, but they were doing well. They were doing okay. They were looking after each other. They were, mm. they were, they were prosperous as in, you know, they weren't making lots of money and stuff, but they were, it was a healthy thriving culture, but then with this Ferengi influence, um, they're not gullible. They're, they are deeply embedded in their religious belief, so that's to the point where you know their prophets or sages come from. Uh, from the sky with a flaming tail behind them, and so that was the ship's warp core. And so they say they they arrived with fire, and they need to leave with fire. So yes, it does end with them tying up the two Ferengi and Neelix, dresses as a Ferengi, about to set them on fire because that will send them back.
1: Gotcha. So not so much a like a gullible species, but there was a myth that the Ferengi were able to exploit and fit fit themselves yes. into. They are. They can reason. But they are very embedded in
0: their culture, of their religious culture, and especially wouldn't you be if the gods that you have been worshipping have been living yeah. among you for centuries? If years. anything,
1: going back to Sigma Iosha with uh, a piece of the action, I almost regret that that planet and species were painted as you know mimickers, mm-hmm. because I think it's it, it's a more powerful point that one book and a visit from a starship. A hundred years later, that small influence can warp a culture very severely over a long period of time. And I think yes. it it wasn't even necessary to say that, oh, they'll they'll copy anything. I think the point of the prime directive is that the smallest most innocent influence on a primitive culture can have these drastic ramifications down through time it is Star Trek in its infancy yeah and so those concepts and ideas
0: back in the 60s of them going how do we justify it? oh well the culture mimics sure, sure, so that's why they're doing that whereas nowadays they've evolved Star Trek into so many other different interpretations and they've developed this law yeah so now they're a lot more confident to say no just this one encounter brief encounter this hint can have a tidal wave of influence on your entire culture
1: i get that it was definitely primordial star trek at the same time so amazing that in season two of a tv series from the 60s doing a comedy episode they would Pull out as subtle an idea as like cultural contamination. Yeah, from a visit from the Federation, like that. That um, that is why we still have Star Trek today. Is because they they were using those deep, rich ideas in a comedy episode a comedy episode that has a very high body count (laughs) as
0: well there is (laughs) there is a lot of people who die mccoy
1: makes no effort whatsoever to save those shooting victims by the side of the road mccoy's not doing himself any favors he drops a communicator he
0: doesn't save anybody (laughs) was he drunk and doesn't know the physiology of a klingon here come on Mm,
1: yep come on mccoy Mm. you got a lot
0: to answer for you mccoy (laughs) <laughs> saw bone if that is your real name
1: <laughs> well thank you rob i enjoyed that uh that trip down memory lane to some like opposite ends of the starfleet timeline but at the same time like connected through this one idea so much fun to visit these things with you we had ferengi we had pirates we had gangsters
0: we had you know we had two janeways i mean it's It's been a hell of a two weeks, and um, see you in a fortnight.
1: See ya. Bye. to Murph who's walking around that is creeping me out
0: yeah we didn't get to talk about it in the, when we talk about Crossroads I was disappointed yeah I was disappointed it's just Murph upright with a little exclamation mark on his head and he's just yeah the same form now with legs I'm going he accidentally sits on a button that causes a photon to go back and hit I'm going oh no, man I that's ex- not what I wanted I, I, I
1: wanted my beautiful butterfly I want my
0: moth I want my, I want my beautiful butterfly. I want my, you know, evolution to the next stage of this uh creature. So if it, I'm hoping there's. This is a lot an intermediate stage. This
1: is the larval stage of the new Murph, is what you're This saying. is teenage group stage. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I have my hopes re- we have, restored. Yeah, we have our eyes. We
0: have our critical eyes on you, prodigy. Don't let us down. <laughs>